world of perfect open relationship with God and people, a world of abundant resources, a world worked and kept responsibly, a world without loneliness, with community, with connection, a world of equality and difference. Imagine the good world God created and humanity enjoyed back in Genesis 2, paradise. We imagine, because this is not the world, that we wake up to each morning. The news I hear each day reveals a world broken. And I see my own rebellion against God adding fuel to the fire. News has become negative events with sadness with that cute baby elephant story tagged onto the side. A recap of what is wrong with the world. Our world is broken and it's in need of good news. Here's my big claim. Here's my pitch for your next 20 minutes of attention. I have good news. God has revealed his response to this broken mess of a world. The good news of Christianity is the good news of Christianity power to transform our broken world. What Christianity calls the gospel is the only good news that has the power to transform this broken world. The gospel is God's response to a broken world. We're going to be talking a lot about this word, gospel. And if you've been around Christianity, you may have heard the word gospel and good news used as synonymous terms. Now, the gospel is good news, but good news sells it far too short. It sells far too short the world-changing power of the gospel. Good news is a starting point, but our vision for the gospel needs to expand and mature. Now, clearly, the gospel is an important word for the Christian faith. And gospel is, the gospel is often used as a summary for the whole message of Christianity. But the word gospel was not a religious word invented by Christians. When a solemn announcement of importance was made in the ancient world, notably when the announcement related to the rule or governance of the land, the word for this news was gospel. A gospel announcement might be the birth or extension of a new emperor. A noteworthy pre-Christian use of the word gospel appears in what's called the Pyrene inscription. And this came out about 9, about 9 BC. And it contains a description of Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome. Augustus, a saviour both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things, since he, Caesar, by his appearance, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to prosperity, that's a fancy word for the future, any good hope of surpassing what he has done, since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of good tidings. This is the word evangelon, the word gospel, for the new for the world has come by reason of him. Augustus was the gospel of the Romans. This gospel announces the good news that their emperor is saviour and God, 
Every Roman citizen, the whole Roman Empire, could look forward to salvation through Caesar. This gospel proclaims that Caesar was fixing a broken world. The age of Prax Romania, of Roman peace, was coming through the kingdom of Caesar. Now look with me to the start of the letter of the Romans. This is written about 66 years later, around 57 AD. And this blew my mind when I put these two and two together, these two competing Gospels. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the Gospel, not of Augustus, but of God. The Apostle Paul is sending a message to Rome, the heart of the reigning power of the known world. In this opening line, Paul drops a challenge to the whole Roman worldview. Paul is proclaiming to Christians in Rome that God, not Caesar, owns the only gospel that has the power to transform and restore this broken world. Jesus, not Augustus, is the gospel for all people. The gospel of God announces the good news that Jesus is Lord, Saviour and God. Every person no matter their citizenship status. The whole world can look forward to salvation through Jesus Christ. This gospel proclaims that God is fixing a broken world. Peace without end, unlike the Pax Romania, which ended after 200 years. Fair effort, but not world transforming. Eternal peace is coming through the kingdom of God. I love that the comprehensive story of the Bible makes sense of our world. Throughout our origin series at North Pine Baptist, we've looked at the book of Genesis. We've explored humanity's beginning in paradise, our failure in sin, and we looked forward in hope to God's gospel announcement of salvation. Today, we commence our Heart Set 3 series in the letter to the Romans. Roman explores the gospel of God revealed in Jesus. Romans will help us to mature as faithful disciples of Jesus. So every gospel needs someone to herald the message. Uh, In the case of the Pyrene inscription, it was proconsul Paulius Flabius Maximus, great name if you're looking for a name for a kid, Um, and he proclaimed the gospel of Augustus. Roman begins with an introduction for a very different Paul. Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Make no mistake, Paul's humble introduction has a clear purpose and it's written in a clear format. Paul writes a political introduction of an ambassador. There is the formality to this introduction that is designed to focus our attention. Now, if you were to take a quick perusal of my Netflix-watching habits, you, you would describe a recent interest in political dramas. Um, the Crown is a good one. The role of the ambassador is particularly intriguing. The weight, the importance of an ambassador, ambassador's message, it doesn't depend on the ambassador. It depends on who the ambassador represents. The power of the message to the Romans of the gospel of God does not depend on the ambassador Paul. 
The gospel comes with the authority, the power, and the resources of God behind it. Now, don't get it wrong. Paul has an impressive CV. Born a Roman citizen, educated by the best of the best, prepared for the highest courts in Jerusalem, speaker of Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, and probably Latin, spectacularly called by God, fantastic story to read in Acts, Paul could have attempted to convey the importance of the gospel off the back of his own significance. But this is not where Paul places his trust. The importance of the gospel comes from God. Yes, conveying the message clearly and persuasively, Paul will take 16 chapters to do this, as any good ambassador should. But Paul's trust is not in his own ability, but rather in who the message is from. Listen throughout our Heart Set 3 series, and you will be equipped with a bigger experience of God's gospel. Grapple with the powerful message of the gospel and you will be empowered to announce this message like the ambassador Paul. To the world around you, trust not in your own capacity, trust in God. The power of the gospel is the power of God. Now this brings us to the content of the gospel. Look with me from verse 2. And keep that open. We're going to jump through the verses pretty quickly uh, through this section. So verse 2. The gospel of God is the fulfillment of God's God's promises um, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now the gospel is not an invention of the New Testament. It's the much anticipated fulfillment of all that was promised in the Old Testament. Verse 3. The gospel is about God's Son coming in flesh the promised descendant from the kingly line of David, God coming as a human. God coming as a human. Easy for us who have been sitting in church to to hear this and hear that message over and again, but I hope you just see how mind-blowing that concept is. It's scandalous to so many people. Verse 4, God's son lives and dies and is resurrected from the dead. The cross Jesus died on is one of the central images of Christianity. We wear it around our necks, we put it on our buildings. And verse 4 is an important reminder. The cross is empty. Jesus, the Son of God, no longer hangs dead on a cross. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. Endless this statement is to so much of the world. God's Holy Spirit calls us to follow the risen Jesus Christ. Our Lord is alive. As we explore the gospel more, I love that God brings us not to a textbook of information to be memorized, but to a living person, God's Son, Jesus. Verse 5 and 6, it keeps the good news coming. Jesus is the source of grace. It is because of Jesus' death and resurrection that God can offer relationship judgment instead of the judgment our rebellion against God deserves. And grace is not without effect. Grace experience brings about obedience motivated by faith. 
some years back, the Bible study group that I attended, um, there was my Bible study leader, he served a young man who was deeply troubled. As this young man experienced grace upon grace, first by my leader, and also even at his own sentence hearing, the judge opened with the lines, let's see some grace today. And most importantly, this young man experienced for the first time the grace of God. And I saw his life change. Faith was placed in God instead of drugs. And obedience did result. Not always smoothly, but it did result. And God began to powerfully transform a broken life. You see, every time there is disobedience in our life, it demonstrates faith placed in something other than God. Now, it might not be drugs, but it could be many other things. Embrace relationship with Jesus as your Lord. Experience the joy of grace. Obedience will follow. I love this next chapter of the young man's story. In his joy, he went out to announce the gospel overseas for the sake of Jesus' name so that more could come to belong to Jesus Christ. Sharing the stories of those with passion for Jesus, it's contagious. And this was true of the church at Rome. Unlike many other of Paul's letters, the church at Rome was not one that Paul had established. Paul had heard the contagious stories of the church's faith and Paul thanked God, longing to share with them. Listen to Paul's address to the church and I want to picture this as, picture this as Paul addressing North Pine Baptist Church. To all, everyone is included. Those at North Pine, who are loved by God, you are loved. Called to be saints. Uh, The plural term for a group of Christians is saints, by the way. This is a gathering of saints. Actually, the singular term saint, it doesn't even appear in the Bible. It's just sort of not how the Bible uses the word. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I want North Pine Baptist Church to be known as called saints, loved by God, who proclaim faith to all the world. But I want you to picture this address again. But imagine it being addressed to Bridgen Baptist Community Church or Bracken Ridge Baptist Church, or North Pine Anglican Baptist Church, uh, North Pine Anglican Church. We can't claim everyone as Baptist. <laughs> How do you respond when you hear that other churches are prospering? Are you like Paul, filled with joy and thanksgiving, or do you get that tinge of jealousy? Our youth group has this many people. We have this many people attending on a Sunday. We baptise this many people. How do we respond? In youth ministry, it's very tempting for the first question to be asked is, hey, how many kids do you have at your place? It's easy for us. We're doing pretty well. But there's actually 
a need to go, we need to focus on the health of the whole community. According to the 2011 census, within just two kilometres, 2,000 metres of where we're sitting right now, are 13,659 people, that's 3,847 families, who need to experience the world-transforming power of the gospel of God. Saints, we need all the help we can get. Let's be a church who not only thanks God that we have faithful churches around us, but let's also be taking Paul's lead and proclaiming for the saints in our community, praying for the saints in our community. Look with me from verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may... I will, God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. I am so eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. It has to be a team effort for North Pine to become a community centred on the gospel of Jesus. Celebrate with other Christians in our community. Bear with them in their burdens. Enjoy mutual encouragement. Seek to work together. This strengthens you and the witness of the gospel. Competitiveness never builds the church. You see, if Activate, Extreme or Unleash lay a foundation that bears a harvest of conversion in another church, we have proclaimed the gospel faithfully. Something we need to remember. My prayer is that as we explore the letter to the Romans, we will gain a more eager vision for the global proclamation of the gospel beginning in our local community. As our eagerness to proclaim the gospel grows, there will be setbacks, frustrating obstacles that cause us to question, am I pursuing the right path? There is a lesson from Paul's plan, after plan, after plan, to try and get to Rome. And I can't say this better than the words of David Seckham does in his commentary, so what follows are his words. It is easy to create a romantic picture of Paul as a man totally filled with the Spirit and constantly led by an inner voice. So that he will always so that he was always sure of his direction. We need to check that our picture corresponds with reality. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he certainly was, and a prophet he was, in the sense that God spoke to him directly on occasions. But there were also times when God said nothing. This passage gives us a window into the life of an ordinary man who had a desire to do something good. God didn't lay it on him. Uh, God didn't tell him to do so, sorry. He doesn't even say that the Lord had laid it on him or use any such pious language. He simply says, I want to see you. Again and again, he made plans, and again and again, God stopped him. 
Frustration in this sense is a normal part of the Christian experience. So my encouragement to you today is dream big. Have ambitious plans, plan well and pray hard. There will be many good and faithful plans for you to pursue and there will be much frustration for you to pursue them through. Persist in prayer. God will get you to where he wants you to be. There is a competition. It's called the three-minute thesis. Doctoral students present 80,000 words, um, the 80,000-word thesis in three minutes. Um, That would take me about 10 hours to preach through if I was gunning it. Um, This text is not 80,000 words. You can be relieved. We come now to our final two verses in verses 16 and 17 where Paul presents his concise thesis, uh, his three-minute summary as such, even less so, of what he is going to expand over the next eight chapters in particular. It reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In these final three minutes, let me leave you with some key themes Paul will address. And this is sort of as a teaser of what is coming in our Heart Set 3 series in Roman. Firstly, the gospel inspires confidence. Our confidence will grow as we explore the gospel. In Australia, proclaiming and living the truth of the gospel is starting to feel riskier. More of our local community are noticing that a gospel-focused life is different to their lifestyle. Different values, different answers uh, to the questions that society is asking. Shame makes saying saying nothing feel just that little bit easier, that little bit safer. Confidence is needed, and confidence is needed that can be only found through the gospel for our future as a church. The gospel of God, the gospel is also the power of God. The gospel is God's powerful response to a broken world. God's response is the offer of salvation to everyone who believes. This is an incredible world-changing announcement. God has provided a way for our broken world to be restored into righteous, that's right standing before God. About 500 years ago, a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther, sounds funny calling him a Catholic, but he was, um, at the time, he studied the letter to the Romans. He believed that God revealed his righteousness through the right punishment of sinners. Punishment of us that has rebelled Punishment of us who have rebelled against God's rule. Now, as Luther grappled with the gospel, he experienced a contagious faith in Jesus, which was filled with the power of God for salvation. The gospel is an announcement not of God's righteous punishment. The gospel is an announcement of God's forgiving sinners righteously. Through Jesus, God has opened the only way 
by which guilty and estranged rebels can be restored into right relationship with God. And this way avoids this way avoids punishing us. At the same time, it does not compromise God's righteous character. God's righteous forgiving response to sinners who believe is the gospel announcement that sets hearts free. This is the gospel of God that has, is, and will transform the world.